Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. This morning I'm going to talk to you a little bit differently about Mother's Day and I titled the message, A Nameless Mom, A Nameless Mom, and we'll explain that in just a moment. But I don't know about you, but I know about me and I know about my mother, and my mother taught me some things as I was growing up. Mothers are very capable and able teachers, you know that. My mother taught me the importance of spiritual exercises. She once told me, you better pray that that comes out of the carpet. So I was taught how to pray from my mother. <laughs> she also taught me logic. She said, because I said so. Did you ever teach your child that? Because I said so. She taught me foresight. She said, you better make sure when you leave the house that you have on clean underwear. <laughs> and you know why, right? In case you get into a car wreck or something like that. I kind of thought, what kind of faith is there in that? But, but anyhow, you know, thank God. Also, my mother taught me about hypocrisy. If I've told you once, I've told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. <laughs> and did you, anyone, mother, ever teach you the circle of life? I brought you into this world. And I can take you out of this world. <laughs> How about anticipation? Did your mother ever teach you anticipation? Wait till we get home. <laughs> Wait till you get home. <laughs> and the best one of all, has your mother taught you this one? Justice. I pray that someday when you grow up, you have a child just like you. <laughs> oh, we shouldn't even go there, should we? In Romans chapter 16, verse 13. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. We read, Greet Rufus, whom the Lord picked out to be his very own, and also his dear mother, who has been a mother to me. Now, most people, when they read this 16th chapter of the book of Romans, and remember, this is a tremendous manuscript, but it ends with all these names of people that's so hard to pronounce. And most parents that are expecting don't usually go to this chapter to find a name for their baby. Some do, but not most. You know, the Bible, we understand, reveals to us the profiles of many mothers that can inspire mothers today, mothers of faith that live for God and served Him and honored Him. Like, for example, you've got Sarah. And you look at her faith. It didn't begin with faith, but it ended with faith. And she received strength by her faith to do what? Conceive in her womb, Isaac, and give birth to the promised child. Then you've got Rebecca, as I said earlier today. And she gave birth to twins, Esau, right? And Jacob. And brought forth the Edomites as well as the Israelites. And so we could look at her life and pattern your life after her as a, as a mother and as a woman. But then you got Jochebed. You can look at her life and you can say, 
I can trust my child to God. If she could put her baby, Moses, in a basket on the Nile River and believe that God will take care of that child, I can place my child in the hands of God and believe no matter how old that child of mine is that God's going to take care of that child. And we can learn some things from her and how she lived her life of faith. Then you've got Hannah. Hannah had a difficult time because she didn't have children and she went to the Lord and asked the Lord to give her a child and of course her faith prevailed and she made a vow before the Lord and God honored her by giving her a child but she also teaches us integrity because she kept her vow before the Lord and turned her son Samuel over to the school of the prophets and he became a tremendous prophet in Israel. So we know that. So you can look at her life and glean some light from her as to what you could do you know, in your family with your children. But then also... We understand Elizabeth. And you think about this. This is someone who longed for a child. Actually, they prayed for a child. But as they were getting older in the ripe old days, they didn't have a child until one day there was a visitation from an angel that said, you're going to conceive and you're going to have a son. His name's going to be called John. Her husband, Zacharias, didn't believe. And of course, he was struck dumb. We know that. But the point is, she gave birth to John the Baptist, who was the forerunner to Jesus. And we can see some things because all her life, regardless of her circumstances, she was there always worshiping and serving the Lord that she loved so much, right? And then we go from the one who was in old age to bring forth the son into the world to one that was like 15 years old. Her name is Mary. She conceived in her womb the son of God. And you can see her life of faith, the life that she lived and how powerful it was. We can glean some light when she said, be it unto me according to your word. We can live by that. And of course, she also gave great instructions when she, she said the people of her day, whatever Jesus says, you do it. And that's pretty good instruction that came from her. But then also we have some unnamed mothers that are in the Bible as well. You know, Samson's mom is not named, but we know that she was very influential. She played a significant role in his upbringing, upbringing and all that. But then we have this unnamed woman called just the Syrophoenician woman. And this Syrophoenician woman represents one of the two individuals that Jesus said, woman, great is your faith. For that saying, the devil has gone out of your daughter. And so he singles her out. We don't know her name, but we know she was tremendous in her faith. Of course, then you've got the woman with the issue of blood. And her name is woman with the issue of blood. And that's all we know about her. But we see her faith as well. And because of her faith, she received her healing from the Lord. But then we have this one here in Romans 16, 13. And her name, is, her name is the mother of Rufus. That's all we know about her. Who is she? Why does he single her out? You see, this whole chapter that a lot of people find boring and they read over. As we were standing here around the altar, it just rose up within me. What was going through the mind of the Apostle Paul when he wrote that chapter. You have to remember he was about to die. This isn't just a greeting time and a time of tribute that he was paying to these people. He was thinking about these people that were, in his own estimation, very dear to him. He valued them. He appreciated them. How some helped him, some stood by his side. Basically, he was saying, yes, say hi to this one, say hi to that one. But he was also saying, tell them all goodbye. Because, see, he was about to die a martyr's death not too long down the road. And here's he singled this out, this one person, the mother of Rufus, who has also been a mother to me. And boy, does that hit you? You see, when I think of the Apostle Paul, you know what I think of? The Damascus Road experience. 
when this Hebrew of Hebrews, this Pharisee of the Pharisees, this one who said the law, as far as the law is concerned, he's, he's walked perfectly. And there he is on the Damascus road and Jesus appears to him and he transitions or he converts from Judaism to Christianity. Trust me, that's what it took to get this man on board with, the, with Jesus in the kingdom of God. I think of that. I also think of the revelation that was given to him when Jesus took him aside and taught him the whole gospel message over a period of time. And of course, he wrote more than half of the New Testament, did he not? And from his writings, we learn how to live a Christian life. We learn about what happened from the cross to the throne and how we can live our lives as Christians. Moral laws he taught, etc., etc. I think of that. I think also of him leaving his body, possibly, and going up to paradise. And remember when he said he was up there in paradise, he heard unspeakable words that were unlawful to do what? They were unlawful to speak or to utter. That's what I think of. But you know, after today and after my study this week, I also want to add to that list. And that's this. The mother of Rufus was like a mother to him. Now, that kind of raises some questions, at least in my mind. Who is this unnamed, unfaced mother of Rufus? When and where did they meet? How did he develop such a close bond with her? Why would he consider her to be like a mother to him? Good questions, wouldn't you say? Look at Mark's gospel, chapter 15, verse 21. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. And I know you've already cheated, so now you know who she is because you looked at the notes already. <laughs> but how many of you, before reading these notes, knew who the mother of Rufus was? Anybody here that knew who the mother of Rufus was before you read these notes? Seriously, raise your hand if you knew before. If you knew, not one hand has gone up. No one knew. So here's this nameless, faceless mother who impacted the Apostle Paul in such a way that he, before he died, wanted her to know that you were like a mother to me. How heartwarming. Amen. Rufus, as we see here in Mark's Gospel 15, verse 21, a passerby named Simon, who was from Cyrene, was coming in from the countryside just then, and the soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Simon was the father of Alexander, and who else? Rufus. So Simon was the father of Rufus. So the mother of Rufus was Simon's wife. Their two sons were Alexander and Rufus. And Simon, we believe, many believe that he was a, convert, a Jewish convert from Libya in northern Africa who was there for the time of the Passover celebration. And while he was there and Jesus had his cross beam on his shoulders and he's on the road to Calvary, and he's carrying that cross beam, which could weigh up to 100 pounds after the beating that he took. And of course, he kept falling on the ground because he was too weak to carry the beam. And so what happens is these Roman soldiers just randomly grab Simon, pull Simon out of the crowd, 
tell him to pick up the beam and carry it up to Calvary. From that moment, something occurred, something powerful. At first, he was intimidated, I'm sure. I'm sure he was embarrassed as well. He could have even experienced fear. But what happens is, and sometimes you see this in the movies, it's depicted this way. Hollywood does its own thing. He has to get down, pick up. Sometimes they'll tie that to the shoulders of the person who's carrying it up to, Cal, up to the cross. He has to get it off of Jesus, and there may have been a glance, an eye-to-eye contact with Jesus. And whether or not there was conversation, we don't really know. But we do know that he continued the walk up the path, the road to Calvary, Golgotha. And when he gets up there, of course, they would take the beam, attach it to the cross, attach Jesus to the cross, and Simon is still there. He's watching the events of the day. Suddenly it gets dark. He hears the words of Jesus. He hears, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The earthquakes, the rocks are rent. The veil of the temple is ripped in twain from top to bottom. The Shekinah glory departs. I'm sure he's wondering, wow. He may have heard the Roman centurion say, this must have been the Son of God for many reasons. He goes home after the Passover, I'm sure contemplating all this. Now just allow me a little bit of latitude here because some of these things, you just got to play them out. He's a Jewish convert, so he's probably thinking, wow, was this really the Son of God? Wow. He hears of his resurrection three days later. Now, really, wow. He's talking to his wife. Mrs. Simon, we'll call her. Hey, boys, something happened when I carried that cross. Something happened when he looked into my eyes. Something penetrated my very soul. Wow. Now he's alive? You know what? It's getting close to the Passover. You know, we got to go back to Jerusalem for the Passover. So um, I don't know if you want to come with me or if I'm just going to go by myself. We don't really know. But it's said in Scripture that many Cyrenians were there at the Passover. I'm sorry, at Pentecost. At Pentecost. And so on the day of Pentecost... There's a rushing mighty wind from heaven. Fills all the room where they're sitting. Cloven tongues like it's a fire come down from heaven, not into the temple area, but in this upper room. All of a sudden, Peter begins to preach the gospel from the depth of his soul, empowered by his spirit. And he hollers out and cries out. He says, Jesus the one you crucified, God raised him from the dead. He's alive right now. We've seen him. I saw him. 500 people saw him at one time. He's alive and he's Lord of all. It's believed that one of those 3,000 converts on the day of Pentecost was Simon 
of Cyrene. And Simon and his wife, Mrs. Simon, got born again. And their boys, Alexander and Rufus, became strong members of the church at Rome. Strong members. As a matter of fact, those two boys were considered powerful witnesses and believers in the first century for Jesus Christ. And I thought about, isn't that wonderful, this family affair? Simon carried his crossbeam. And we see Mrs. Simon ministered to Paul in such a way that he could say, she was like a mother to me. And the other two, on fire for Jesus, very influential in the church at Rome, living for God, serving him, witnessing for Jesus everywhere they go. What an amazing and remarkable story. Well, before I move on to our next section, I don't know if you ever heard this. I have the article. I'm just going to very quickly just throw it out to you. But if you want a copy of it, I'd be glad to make you a copy of it. How many of you know that in some images, whenever you see the cross, you see the cross where Christ died. And at the bottom of the cross, you see a skull. Anybody ever see that? Do you know why it's there? Many believe it's because Golgotha, the stonework, was in the shape of a skull. That's one, let's say, thought about it. But that's not the primary thought, and that's not the main thought. And this was tradition, and this was accepted for many, many early years. It's kind of lost a little bit of its luster, but it was never contested. You see, it's believed it's called the place of the skull. And the skull is placed at the bottom of the cross because that is the place where Adam was buried. And when Jesus died on the cross and it says the rocks were rent, that when the rocks were rent, the skull of Adam was there. And the blood of Jesus ran from the cross onto the skull of Adam. And the blood of Jesus Christ, the second Adam, cleansed mankind from what Adam, the first Adam, did when he sinned against Almighty God. Which is why they call that the place of the skull. And that was accepted very much so in the early church doctrine. They believe that's where the first Adam was buried. And that's where the second Adam conquered sin. Now, in Philippians chapter 3, let's just take a moment. Um, and again, this is a different kind of Mother's Day message. But I believe it's extremely important. The Apostle Paul stating that this Mrs. Simon was like a mother to him for reasons. Notice these verses first, then we'll comment. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might tr trust in the flesh, I am more. Now notice his credentials and notice what he says about himself. Circumcised the eighth day, which identifies him with the covenant of Abraham. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. As touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. 
But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. So we read those scriptures, but sometimes we fail to pursue further to find out what he's talking about. What all did he lose? His position as a Pharisee, as a Hebrew, in the synagogue, among the Jewish people, the elders and all that. Did he lose only his position? You know as well as I do, when you live in those days, and if in those days you accepted Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, and you were baptized unto him, what did that mean to you? You're excommunicated. What did that mean to your family? Your family considers you dead. You're dead. Do you remember that Jesus said, no man is given up in this life, mother, father, sister, brother, husband, wife, etc., etc., for the gospel's sake, for my sake and the gospel's sake, that shall not receive back in this life a hundredfold in return? Let's pull that up. In Mark 10, verse 29 and 30. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, or lands for my sake and the gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren, sisters and mothers and children, and lands with persecution, and in the world to come eternal life. The apostle Paul came from a strict Jewish heritage. And it's believed by many that when he was baptized, See, they try to get you to recant before you're baptized. And once you're baptized, that identifies you once and for all as a Christian. You have completely turned away from your Jewish roots, Judaism, etc. You are now identified as a Christian. It is believed also that his parents considered him to be dead to them. And even in those days, if you were a family member, you'd be turned over to death. You'd be killed. For what you did. We see that happening even today in some circles. So here's the apostle Paul. Having this dramatic. Turn of events in his life. Accepting Christ as a savior. Because he could not deny what he saw. On that Damascus road. When Jesus appeared to him. He could not deny that Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. He may try to convince his parents. Have you tried to convince parents of things that. When you've been rooted in and grounded in and you grew up in Judaism and here you are now saying, but he is the Christ, he is the Messiah and you've got these people that are well steeped in what they believe. No convincing. But notice this in Acts chapter 26, something that sometimes we overlook. Paul, his sister, had a son, his nephew. And look what happened. Paul was in prison. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. Paul was taken captive at this time. Paul was going to go before the people. They were calling for him. The Jews wanted him. And his nephew found this out. And Paul says, you go tell the man in charge what you found out. They're waiting for him there's a certain amount of people waiting to kill him the moment he releases him so he goes you could read the rest of it and you'll see it for yourself the point some of his family members are acknowledged and apparently they did accept Christ this was a nephew that accepted Christ could be his sister accepted Christ 
but there's no mention of his mother, there's no mention of his father, He's kind of left all alone. Now, can you imagine this individual who's out there on the road as a missionary proclaiming Jesus Christ among these people that want to kill him everywhere he went? You talk about forsaken. You talk about a no man in, out there in no man's land. Living that kind of a life, sacrificing himself for Jesus as he did. And there's no family to go to in the hard times and difficult places of life. And that's where he's at. From his baptism to he wrote this letter, these are the things that he experienced. And during that time, the mother of Rufus, Simon's wife, was like a mother to him. Think about that. I wrote down some things that we could visualize. No, they can't be proven. But there is room for speculation, wouldn't you say? Have you ever said that someone was like a mother to you that you didn't know? Do you randomly down, walk down the mall and say, oh, that woman right there, she's like a mother to me and you don't even know her name? No one does that. But there's a connection with this woman that made him at this point in this letter when he knew he was about to die, please let her know that she was like a mother to me. Number one. Maybe when others viewed him as a terrorist who burned down houses and killed Christians. Remember he did that? Maybe she stood by his, by his side and encouraged him. Maybe she said, Paul, remember Simon, my husband, was there at the foot of the cross. And he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I know that you killed Christians. I know that others view you as a terrorist. I know you're going through a difficult time right now. But remember this. It's all under the blood. Jesus has forgiven you, Paul. You're cleansed from all that. You're free from all that. Number two, maybe when every other door was shut, her door was never shut. Mrs. Simon, Rufus's mother, opened up the door and said, you're always welcome here. And whenever you're out there in the harvest field, and it gets really tough because it was really tough for him, you've got a place here with us. My door is always open to you. Number three, maybe she had a home along his missionary journey. Trip, the trip that he took in Asia Minor and other places. Who knows? Maybe she did. And God used her. Here's a place where you can stay along the way. We own property over there as well. And in the middle of your missionary journeys, if you get rest, if you need anything, just let us know We'll do anything we possibly can to help you. Maybe she cooked him some of his favorite meals just to help him gain strength along the way. You know, maybe, number six, she lovingly applied ointment to his wounds when he was beaten five times with the cat of nine tails, when he was beaten with rods three times, and his back is bleeding and what about the time he was stoned to death and left for dead? Did you ever think about it when you read those verses of Scripture and you thought about his life? Where did he go to recover? Sometimes we think he's the Apostle Paul, so it was an instantaneous, miraculous thing. That's not the case. Because he went back to Galatia, the province of Galatia, and they saw him swollen in the way he was. They said, we cut off our arm and give it to you, pluck out our eye and give it to you, because they saw the damage that was done by the stoning that he took. Here we have this unnamed, unknown, face, I should say, faceless mother. Don't know. But she was like a mother 
to the most powerful convert to ever accept Christ as Savior and deflect from Judaism and become a born-again, blood-washed child of God. We have no clue all that she did to help this man in his endeavors. But I'll tell you what, she did a lot for him to call her like a mother to me. Look in the book of Hebrews chapter 6. Look at verse 10. This is from the New Living Translation. God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. This woman had the privilege of ministering to the most significant convent, a convert rather, in Christianity. Paul the Apostle. She was privileged to impart to him things that were necessary for his well-being in this natural world in which we live in. Know that she's not noted or known for signs and wonders and miracles and demonstrations of God's mighty power and glory. But she is noted for taking this man in, caring for him, loving him, being by his side, encouraging him, lifting him up. When the care of the churches, he said, were upon him because he was so concerned. Listen, we have to be understandable about the time in which he was living. When he says, all this is coming upon me, it's like weight upon my shoulder. You've got to understand this. Here he is preaching and proclaiming that Jesus is alive from the dead among those that want to kill him everywhere he goes. Remember when he talked about in 2 Corinthians, he talked about everywhere he went, there was persecution, there was affliction, there were trials, there were difficulties. He was left in the sea overnight. He was beaten with the rods. He was whipped five times with the cat of nine tails. And he goes on and he lists all these things that came against him. Can you imagine anybody in our society today having to undergo that kind of punishment, affliction, and say rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice in prison. You know what I realized from that? Our joy the world didn't give. Our joy the world can't take away. Christian maturity is when we recognize that in Christ we are already complete and made whole in Him. We're not looking to the world to give us joy or peace. We thank God on the inside when we grow to understand and truly know don't hang your head down that's giving place to the enemy. Don't allow him to enter into your thought life and make you think that you're nothing, you're nobody, your life is not worth anything, etc., etc., etc. Because let me tell you something right now. What Christ thinks about you is more important than anything else or anyone else in the world and what they think about you and what he thinks about you is that you are his masterpiece and when that blood flowed down from Calvary's cross and hit upon that skull if it was the skull of Adam praise God we are redeemed by the blood of the lamb the blood was shed for us we're cleansed we're made whole we're the temple of the most high God right now that's who we are and you know what as a mother investing in the lives. Listen, I meant that when I said this. They're, they're saying a, a, a mother today in our society is worth $143,000 a year. That's 40-hour work week and 52 hours overtime. Salary.com, go look it up. That was 2018. 2019, you know, went up. Gas prices went up. Mother's wages go up. Oh, glory. I'm telling you, mothers are priceless.
I'm telling you. You'll go back to the beginning with Eve. And as we said, the woman's makeup is a part of the likeness of God. God is not a man and God is not a woman. But you put them together, you got the image of God right there. We need each other. Paul did what he did because someone was a mother to him. And we live in a society where people want to look down upon women when they're just, just a mother. Really? How much is your salary? What do you make? If it's not over $143,000, then don't say anything yet. But think about the impact this woman had on this powerful man of God's life. And before he died, he wanted her to know, you were like a mother to me. Her reward, what a reward. The reward that she'll get, as you just read in Hebrews, he rewards those that labor for him and those that labor by helping others along the way, investing in their lives like she did. And what better reward but to know her husband, her son Alexander, and her son Rufus one day will be with her like we were here around the throne of God. And they look at each other. I carried his cross. And she says, I ministered to Paul. And the other boys say, we witnessed for Jesus. And look at us now. Standing before the throne. Casting down our crowns. Look at 2 Timothy and we'll close it with this. Truly, this is his last letter. Paul says in chapter 4, my time of departure is at hand. I'm about to leave. I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished my course. And now there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, the crown of life that is for me and for anyone, the crown of righteousness and those that will serve him. But notice these verses and how they should speak to our hearts this morning. Because you see, sometimes we take it to a level that our minds shouldn't go. What's most important is what we did around this altar this morning. If we can't evangelize our own family, how many ministers have lost their families? I don't believe that God wants that. God wants families to be strong like that family was. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, who lost his family for the sake of Jesus Christ, According to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son. Oh, he invested so much in Timothy's life like a father would a son. Grace, mercy, peace. From God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience. That without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see thee being mindful of thy tears that I may be filled with joy now notice when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice or Eunice how some say in the Greek and I am persuaded that in thee also. Did you see that family together? Your grandmother served him. Your mother served him. Your grandmother displayed and demonstrated a great faith. Your mother as well. 
They taught you the scriptures from a child and you've learned the truth from them. They've invested in your life the word of God more important than anything else that you can ever experience in life. And Timothy, you are who you are because of your grandmother and because of your mother and never forget that. And now I believe it's in you and I'm calling upon you. If you remember what he said about Timothy, I have no other man who's like-minded than Timothy who thinks the same way, who has the same heart. So we see something so important here today. It's not just men like Paul. It's mothers like Rufus's mother, Simon's wife, who takes to heart the things of God, who lives for him, to honor him, knowing that her life is valuable, it's precious, and the investments that she made here on this earth, she'll experience the rewards thereof throughout eternity. Amen. Mothers, your role never ends. It's said that a mother's job or a mother's life is sometimes overlooked, certainly underpaid, overloaded, right? And sometimes unappreciated, unappreciated. But you know what? If your mother's here with you right now, appreciate her. Amen. As many of you know, my mother is close to leaving this realm of life and she's wanting to go be with Jesus. And she told me that yesterday very clearly. It's, I want to go. Don't want to be here anymore. And I go back and I just think about when we first all got saved as a family, coming out of our religious background, how she opened up her house, how people came in every week, how this one little Bible study actually some of you may not even know this. This little Bible study that took place there in my father's house. It started there in the, in the 70s with the charismatic movement. Many that were coming out of denominational churches into the fullness of the gospel. As a result of that little Bible study, I was introduced to a pastor who asked me to preach at his church, a Christian assembly church in south side of Youngstown, which is how this church found out who I was when I went off to school at Ramah. But then I also was invited to go to Niles to teach a lesson at a Bible school, uh, I'm sorry, at a Bible study that was taking place in someone's house in Niles, Ohio. And a family from Warren, the Caminetti family, they were there. And that's when they first heard about Kenneth Hagin Ministries and the teaching of faith. I don't know how many of them were there. I think Joe was there. I'm not sure if Mike was there. Tony was there, but, but they were there. They went off to Bible school and they've got tremendous churches right now. You see, it's just one thing after another. As we see here in these lives, we see lives of people upon the earth. But I think, like again, my mother opened up the house. Oh, you'd want to go to her little Bible study because the food was phenomenal. The dessert was even better. Ruth, I'm telling, we couldn't wait to get to the dessert. But we're talking about memories, memories that will live with you forever. And how she supported me going off to school and, and, and all that I had to do, not really wanting her boys to move away and 
and all that. But there are no words to express the impact a mother can make in the lives of her children and grand grandchildren. And there's nothing more important, like I said, than what we saw here this morning. Were you impacted by that this morning? You were, weren't you? Impacting. Don't let anything hold you back. You're perfect in Christ. Don't let hurt feelings even rise up in you for a moment because you know why? It's not what people think. It's what God thinks. Rise up. Take your place. Do your part. Be a Rufus's mom to someone. You might say, well, I don't have children. You could be a Rufus's mom to someone. Help someone else. Connect with somebody. Serve the Lord. Be a prayer warrior. Take people. Help people. Let's all stand together.